2: I'm Dave Arnold, host of Cooking Issues. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit heritageradionetwork.org for thousands
0: more.
1: Welcome to All in the Industry on Heritage Radio Network. I'm your host, Sherry Bayer. We're coming to you live from Roberta's Restaurant in Bushwick, Brooklyn. It is Wednesday, July 9th. This is the 27th episode of this series, which is dedicated to behind-the-scenes talents in the hospitality industry. Today, my guest is an outstanding author and chronicler of chefs, cooks, and kitchen culture. But before I introduce him, I will do my PR tip, and then later we will have my speed round questions, industry news discussion, solo dining experience, and the final question. Now, at first, I also want to remind everyone that it is our summer membership drive here at Heritage Radio Network. So if you like what you hear here and on all of our programs, I hope you will become a member. You visit heritageradionetwork.org, click on the donate button at the top of the page. It's very easy. So we greatly appreciate your support. Now, as the founder of Bayer Public Relations, I'm going to tip off the show with my PR tip of the week. Today's tip is to keep your press releases, your emails, and your messages short. Your press release should be on one page. Your email messages should get to the point in a few sentences. Everyone is busy and seems to have shorter attention spans these days, so try to edit yourself and be as concise as possible while getting your point across. That's my short tip today. Now I'm thrilled to have my guest here. It is Andrew Friedman. He is an award-winning writer who has made a career in chronicling the life and work of some of our best chefs, including Alfred Portali, Laurent Torndel, Michelle Bernstein, David Waltok, Paul Liebrandt, and Michael White. He has authored and co-authored more than 25 books and is the founder and chief contributor to Tokeland, a chef's site. Andrew is now working on his second non-fiction book, an oral history of the American chefs of the 1970s and 80s. Welcome.
2: Thank you. Great to be here.
1: Well, thank, I'm happy to have you out here, and we just were chatting a little about how we both grew up in South Florida.
2: Yes. <laughs> I don't talk about it much, but uh, <laughs> I'm happy to share.
1: Well, it was nice to discover that. So, um, so after South Florida, how did you did you did you know you wanted to be a writer, or how did you get into the chef scene as well as writing?
2: Uh, I mean, the truth is I completely stumbled into the food world. Uh, Came to New York for college. Uh, Had every intention of being a uh, in the film business. Uh, Oh, really? Yeah. I I wanted to direct. I had that cliche. Um, And I was trying to be a screenwriter. Produced a short film with a friend of mine. Um, And Over the years, became like a lot of people come to New York, a a, you know a diner. I dined out a lot, and um, the film thing didn't quite happen for me. I came very close to a couple of things working out as a as a writer, um, and decided to shift gears. Mm -hmm. And uh, you may not know this about me, but I actually got to pay the rent. I got a job at a PR firm.
1: I actually did know that Um, in my
2: little bit of research. And the PR firm happened to specialize in restaurant and food accounts. And and long story short, one of my clients was Alfred Portali. Mm-hmm. And Alfred and I uh, had a really good rapport. And I used to, if he needed a speech, I would write a speech for him. If he needed a letter written, I would help him write the letter. And I ended up collaborating on the Gotham Barn Grill cookbook with him. Uh, that's the first thing I ever got paid money to do was that book.
1: And that uh, was n- 97, 98? 98. 90- I think around it this.
2: Published in ninety eight. Okay. I think it published in ninety eight, and uh, yeah, and it, you know, I thought it would be kind of a one off when I decided to do it, and I had a great time. Kind of saw an opportunity to maybe do some other projects. Left my day job and uh, started looking for books, and that was you know many many books and about fifteen years ago.
1: Well, many many books, and books have become a bigger thing now. I think with chefs or do you think yeah
2: it- I, I think it's there's been sort of a roller coaster um I think that um yeah, I think they're coming into a new a new type of popularity now I think people you know when I started doing these books they were really recipe books you know that's that was kind of the main thing. I feel like now there's a lot more interest in uh sort of different chefs' philosophies i think there's Uh, A lot of interest in sort of, um, you know, different political issues that surround the food world, I think. Um, I think there's a lot. It's become a much more global thing. And Mm -hmm. people, you know, U.S. chefs who are hanging with and making references to and and whatnot, um, you know, chefs all over the world. uh, And I think all those threads kind of run through food, chef, cookbook, publishing now uh, in a way that they didn't used to. Uh, and I think so. It's I think it's a really exciting time, actually.
1: I think so too. And I think they always say when you do a book, it's not don't it's not to make money, but it's the publicity you get from it. It's the marketing tool. Yeah. Well, I do them to make money. Well, not the <laughs> chef. i was thinking of the chef. Yeah, you should do them it's to make money. My only source of income.
2: But um, <laughs> don't, um, don't get me wrong. And I also love those chefs. Um, no. Uh, yeah. I mean, when I sit down with someone and have a meeting when we're first talking about. You know, somebody would, wants to maybe do a book. The first thing I always ask, my first question uh, is, why do you want to do a book? You know, and I think, I think there are people who do it for commercial reasons. I think there are people who do it um, in this very sort of charming, old-fashioned way that they just, you know, they want to share what they know, you know, and mm-hmm. share their enthusiasm and share their passion. Uh, and I mean this in a very pure way. There are people who are like that, and they almost don't care what they get paid to do it. Um, uh, you know and then there are of course a lot of people for whom it's a marketing tool uh, and then some people it's all three um, but uh, I always do ask that because I think very often the next conversation uh, you know needs to be sort of a reality check you know if you, if you are doing it to make money there's not a whole lot of people who are in a position to make a lot of money necessarily mm-hmm. selling it certainly not their first cookbook um, you know a lot of things have to be true uh you really have to have a certain level of fame uh, in most cases uh, to 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 make a lot uh, to get a big payday on your advance so I think all those reasons are valid, but mm-hmm. I think it's an important question to
1: ask no it's a it's a very good question to ask yeah. and then what's the process like when you start working with a chef and how much time do you spend with them like how does it work uh so for me you know assuming they
2: don't you know once in a while a concept uh, or a project will come your way as a writer and there's already a concept people already know what the book's going to be um that's usually not the case so usually the first thing uh to do and and i always say that it's uh you know the writing of a proposal is the least of it it's coming up with the idea uh you can't or at least i can't force an idea uh So the first thing I do is what I kind of call this almost inside the actor studio kind of time, where I sit down with the chef and we go through, you know, not the most intimate details of their private life, but we do go through kind of their entire culinary life, right? So from earliest childhood and, and really in a lot of detail. And, you know, it's funny, I just had a coffee with someone else who does some collaborating the other day. And, you know, he said to me at some level, you are sort of like a psychotherapist. (laughs) And it is true, you know, the whole goal is to figure out who that person is and why they are who they are. And, and as I like to say, what makes them who they are on the plate, you know, how who they are is reflected in their food. Mm -hmm. Uh, And then, you know, to me, this is the big challenge these days, although to your point from when we started talking, I do think things are turning a little bit, you know, but for the last certainly 10 years, it became much more difficult to just sell a restaurant cookbook. You know, that became very hard, unless you were a real iconic restaurant or someplace that was just super red hot. Um, you know, the goal had been for a long time to figure out what I call the bridge between what the chef does at a restaurant and what the um, cook, most cooks do at home, right? So you're not right. doing straight restaurant food. You're doing maybe stripped down or streamlined versions of, res- of restaurant dishes, um, for home cooks um, and coming up with some kind of a hook that makes it saleable, right? That was kind of the, the goal. Now there's all these restaurant books again, you know, that really for long, for about, it's, it's a very strange thing to connect it to, but I feel like as it did, as it changed a lot of uh, restaurants in New York and what how people wanted to eat in restaurants, I feel like the terrorist attacks uh, in 2001 mm-hmm. um, changed what kind of book people wanted to buy, what kind of a cookbook. You know, these the, the sort of coffee table chef book uh, became much less popular around that time. You That's know, interesting. It's, it's a very strange, maybe slightly tasteless way to connect something. But I do, in my mind, connect it to, you know, a lot of restaurants started mm-hmm. serving quote-unquote comfort food, right after that. That's how people you yeah, know, talked true. about it. And I think right after that time, you started to see, you know, so-and-so cooks at home, you know, with the chef in like a gingham shirt with like a, you know, big platter of food at their barbecue, like that all to me, I connect that to that time. Um But I think it's starting to turn again. I mean, there's all these restaurant books now.
1: That's what it, it seems like. There's a lot yeah. of restaurant books. Yeah. And I keep buying these books. And I the ones that there's stuff to read I, I want to read, but I, they usually become coffee table books for me because I don't have time to read them. Right. And they're beautiful. I mean, I know you did the book with Paul Liebrandt recently, mm-hmm. and that's, it's a beautiful book. Thanks.
2: Yeah, well, I mean, more than any book I've worked on, you know, Evan Sung, who shot that book, mm-hmm. the photographer, who's, we, became, we did that book and the Michael White book uh, during the same year. And he and I didn't really know each other before that. Became very good friends, but you know, I always refer to Evan as the third author of that book because I think, especially Paul's food being as as graphic as Paul Paul's word would be graphic, um, <laughs> as graphic as that food is. I think those photographs were enormously important uh, to that book, maybe more than any other book I've worked on. So, uh, yeah, thank you. No, I, I think it's a beautiful. You're book. You're welcome. Yeah,
1: yeah, no, absolutely. So. Who else have? Who have you worked with over the years that, you know, memorable experiences <sighs> and the difference? I don't. I mean, I mean you have such a variety. Just, I named a few of them, right? But I know. Well, I don't know. Who do you want to? Michelle Bernstein. How about that? Let's Michelle go back to great. South Florida. Uh, <laughs> I love Michelle.
2: Michelle was great. Michelle, you know, I was interviewing Michelle. Um, I did a book with an agent named Kim Witherspoon a few years back, called, uh, gosh, almost ten years ago now, called uh, "Don't Try This at Home," which was kitchen disaster stories from famous chefs. Oh, I saw that. Um, yes, and you know, about a dozen of the chefs were chef writers, like Tony Bourdain and Gabrielle Hamilton, and and I, and twenty-eight of them weren't, and uh, so I was. My function as co-editor was to help them, you know, write their stories, and Michelle and I. We're talking on the phone and, you know, she said, uh, you know, I, I really like the way you're interviewing me. I'm thinking about doing a cookbook. We should meet. And I had a trip planned to my hometown, which is where she mm-hmm. works and, and runs her restaurants. And we had a meeting and we uh, hit it off. And she's, I mean, Michelle really has a very distinct point of view uh, uh, and really incorporates a lot of influences into a, into a style um, that somehow works, you know. But there's, you know, there's French food in there, and her, her you know, she has Argentinian uh, background, you know, uh, blood, uh-huh. uh, you know, and obviously with the name Bernstein, she's part Jewish, and uh, you know, she cooked in New York, she spent time in Europe, she, and all this shows up in her food. I mean, there's it's American, South American. Uh, uh, you're, you know, French, Italian. It's all there, and somehow it all hangs together. and makes perfect sense. Um, and uh, she was great to work with. She's the only uh, woman that I've collaborated on a book with, um, uh-huh. which I, to be honest, it was one of the reasons I was keen to do it. I'd never written, you know, for a woman before in voice, um, which probably doesn't sound like that big a deal with a cookbook, but as a writer, it was something I was had always wanted to do. Just no one had. No one had tried to hire me uh, before, <laughs> um, so she did. Um, and uh, and it was also the only kind of long-distance book I'd ever done. I mean, we'd, once in a while she'd come through New York or, or I would uh, be down in Florida, but a lot of that book happened over the phone. Uh, so that was all great. Yeah, she was terrific.
1: Yeah, that's great. I'm looking forward to seeing what she's going to do. She closed me. Yeah, she's putting something new yeah. there. So stay tuned on that.
2: I mean, and then currently, um, you know, I'm doing, I just finished a book with Harold Dieterle, who has Perilla and Kinshop yeah. and the marrow here in New York. That's and, great. um, uh, you know, on a personal note, you know, Harold was someone I knew when he was the sous chef at the Harrison and, uh. When Jimmy Bradley and I were doing the Red Cat Cookbook, uh, he brought this young cook named Harold to come help us test once a week. Um, and we became friendly, and Harold used to always say to me when I'm you know, when I'm a chef in my own right, we're going to do a book together. Um, oh, and that's awesome. Little did I know, he knew, but he was about to go off and do Top Chef when we had that conversation. Oh, he didn't
1: know he was going to win. So
2: he didn't know he was going to win. <laughs> um, but that was... So that project was great, and then... Uh, you know, I'm really I'm I'm about to finish a manuscript with uh Walker Stern and Joseph Ogrodnik of Battersby and Dover in Brooklyn.
1: That's very cool. Um, I've been to Battersby. Have not been to their new place Dover, Dover yeah. yet.
2: They're I mean they're great. They're yeah. really talented and obviously the I mean they're the youngest chefs I've done a book with, uh and uh you know, very much of the moment and it's great to have time with them and to have their perspective on What's happening, what's happened in the past, where food is going. And we, we have a lot of talks like that in the downtime. And that's great and really valuable to me. So, um, yeah. Terrific. But,
1: I look forward to seeing that and whatever. Thank you. what's next. So we're going to take a little break here okay. and come back. So stay with us. This is All in the Industry and Heritage Radio Network.
0: Hi, I'm Damon Bolte, host of The Speakeasy. This summer, Heritage Radio Network is turning five years old. Since our launch in 2009, we've continued to bring you food and culture content like no one else. And we need, absolutely need your help. HeritageRadioNetwork.org is a passionate, grassroots, action-oriented, nonprofit organization. That means we depend on the support from listeners like you to keep us alive. If you love what you hear on Heritage Radio Network, visit our website and become a member today. Thanks for listening, and thanks for your support. This is Chris Howell from Kate Vineyard and Winery, calling in from Spring Mountain above the
2: Napa Valley. Thank you for listening to this show. In our industrial world of highly processed food and wine, we support the values of Heritage Radio Network. All of us at Kane encourage you to seek out individuality and beauty in everything you eat and drink. To learn more about us, go to kane 5com Hey, this is Howard Hanna. I'm the chef owner at the Rieger in Kansas City, and you're listening to HeritageRadioNetwork.org.
1: Welcome back to all in the industry on Heritage Radio Network. I'm Sherry Bayer, and my guest today is Andrew Friedman of TokeLand. You know, we haven't talked about TokeLand yet. No. So let's let's talk about that. Okay. <laughs> what made you want to want to start it as a, It's a chef site, correct?
2: It's uh yes, I refer to it as a chef site. Okay. Not a food site. Um uh there's there's I think one food one food photograph that's ever appeared on the site. Um Toclan was some I mean the truth of it is um, I guess I can say this after 5 years, but I was doing a book uh, I did a book knives at dawn about the Bookhouse door cooking competition and um was a little bit alarmed at um, as as we were getting closer to public uh, to publishing date of the book. Uh, the publication date. Um, I, I wasn't seeing a huge uh, mass of media attention on the horizon, <laughs> and it's getting there. And I thought oh, I got to do something. I got to make something happen here. Um, and I very, <laughs> uh, I, I, I very hurriedly over the Thanksgiving holiday that year. My book came out right at the beginning of December. Um, through, went on TypePad, signed up for a TypePad account, spent the weekend. I'm, I'm not that tech savvy and put this original version, the 1.0 version of Tokeland, together, um, which is really not the way to begin something that you're going to put out there to the world. So, um, I, I, wrote a few articles, um, uh, some of them got noticed, um, but I, you know, I wasn't really prepared for what it took to have uh, a blog in it or a website and any, I had no sense of the... Right amount of time it took. I had no sense of just, you know, when you write a post, the amount of time that it took just to go in and put in all the links and drop in all the photos and format it and and then to promote it um, through social media. I mean, I don't have an assistant. I don't have an intern. I don't. It's just me. I'm a one-man band. I get it. So Me too. (laughs) that was really, um, it was a good idea. I thought it had a really good name. um, And I just kind of let it die on the vine a little bit for a while. And then... Over the next couple of years, I, I gradually started to think about um, basically the epiphany I had was that I spent a lot of time with chefs just as a function of my job, right? Um, and so I'm often out to dinner with chefs. I'm often talking to chefs about whatever's going on in the business right now. And to me, it's just my life. Um, but it occurred to me so many people are so interested in that world um, that these things that I sort of take for granted and these interactions i have might be interesting to people to read or just the time i've spent the ability to write a profile a personal profile uh about somebody i've been lucky enough to spend time with who's of interest to a lot of people um so i rededicated myself to it uh at the very beginning of 2012 and i hired a design a web designer i had a proper uh logo created, I think my original logo was created on something like createyourownbanner.com literally, <laughs> literally it was horrible um, really horrible, uh, it looked like I had just taken a marker and gone into my computer and drawn it on the website um,
1: I don't think I've seen it, but I'm No, I'm it's thinking... gone now, I've
2: t- I finally I left it up <laughs> forever, because I'm a little OCD that way but I finally took down the pad version um, if you googled hard enough you could have found it till about a month ago, but it's it's gone, it's gone. Um, and now it's a proper site, and um, yeah, and I just try to really just bring people into that world as best I can. Um, uh, you know, interview people who I think will be interesting. Sometimes it's it's uh, you know the the big the bigger name you know big names in the industry. I recently uh, was lucky enough to interview Anthony Bourdain uh, on the site. I just had an interview with David Kinch
0: Pretty on the big site. Names. Um, mm-hmm.
2: You know, but also if I just come across somebody in my travels who I think might be interesting or something that people don't know about or uh, an interesting angle onto the industry, uh, you know, I'll write that too. Uh, I mean, I've done a post a couple of months ago. I came home on a Saturday night and uh, a bunch of guys in Philadelphia, a bunch of chefs were on Twitter. Um, one of them just made some joke on Twitter about uh, food, of the, food of the 80s, right? Uh, and they, all these guys started just riffing on Twitter, mentioning all these trends from the 80s. Um, by the time they were done, they weren't done until Monday. Uh, it was like a, like a, like yeah. a bender. They went on a Twitter bender and uh, there were 600 something tweets, f- different food writers were hopping onto it. And anyway, I wrote a post about that, right? Cause I just thought it was really funny.
1: And that ties uh, into your new book.
2: And it tied into this book that's on my mind. So, um, uh, <laughs> cool. you know, but I've, you know, I did, a, I, I, mean, some of the more popular posts, I recently wrote a farewell piece for my friend Gavin Kazin um, who mm. left New York city to go home to Minneapolis um,
1: I know. I'm going to miss Gavin. Yeah. I'm excited for him.
2: Oh, yeah. He'll be he'll be fine. Um, he will
1: be, but, but, you know, they're getting a great guy. We're losing. I mean, yeah. he'll be back to visit, but, sure. you know.
2: But, you know, I wrote a piece uh, just about him and his decision to leave because a lot of people privately had told me they thought, you know, he was crazy to be leaving New York. Mm-hmm. And it made sense to me. And I, you know, I wrote that. I wrote a piece uh, about the late, great Charlie Trotter not long ago because I... Had been lucky enough to spend some time with him about a year before he he passed away. I um, read
1: that piece. I worked at Trotter's Oh you did? Yeah, back in ninety okay. seven. And All right. so I rem- I read it. I read it a little while ago, but it was a great piece. I, I enjoyed it. Thank you. Yeah.
2: So it's kind of whatever I mean that's the the nice thing about having your own book. It's whatever I feel like mm-hmm. doing, I, I yeah, do it's yours. or try to do, I'll call someone and say, Hey, do you want to come on the site? You know, just and sometimes it's they have a new book out or or sometimes it's somebody who just happens to be in town, you know, yeah. and, and I'll we'll be out having dinner and I'll say, can I do a post about this? Um, so that's what it is. Yeah, and then the book you mentioned, which has been the great side benefit of this book, is I've been able to travel to other cities and interview people I didn't know before, um, but I'm writing an oral history uh, of the American chef and restaurant movement of the 70s and 80s. Um, it's a book about, as I like to say, kind of the bridge years between... A time in this country when, you know, a a serious meal or a fancy meal was a French dinner and and really nothing else. Uh, When it was almost unheard of uh, for a young American in this country from a a quote unquote good home uh, to turn to their parents one day and say, you know, hey, mom and dad, I think I'd like to be a chef.
1: Yeah, it wasn't as cool back then.
0: No,
2: uh, there's a lot of stories of people telling their parents that and their parents just completely either imploding or or exploding. Yeah. Um, but that, you know, and then, of course, going from a time when there was, you know, barely something that you would identify as American cuisine uh, to this world that we all sort of dine and eat in now and take for granted where, you know, food is uh, s- seen as a personal expression when there's this whole sort of canon now of of legendary American dishes and, and chefs and restaurants. Um, So that's kind of the story I'm trying to tell. But it's been amazing to sit down with. uh, You know, I've been in New York my whole adult life, so I knew most of the players here. Um, Strangely, there were a lot of people on the West Coast I'd never sat down with and never met, and it's been a great, great uh, excuse to get to know a lot of these people I've known about, you know, for 20-some years. That's terrific. Yeah.
1: I look forward to to the book when it comes out. Thank you. Now, I... I have two questions from my guests last week yep. that I wanted to ask you. Yes. So I had on the show Grace Ann Jordan, who's the director of operations for, of Crafted Hospitality, and Peter Esben, founder of Set for Service, which is a new customer relationship management platform for restaurants. So the first question I'm going to go backwards the way I thought I'd do because you mentioned Boku. So, Peter. Said you know you wrote this book on Bukus and you yeah. wanted to see what your opinion was on how the U.S. is progressing in the competition. Yeah, you think we we have a shot for for an award?
2: <laughs> uh, I I have always since I wrote that book I've always believed it is a very steep uphill battle uh, for non-European countries to make a dent in that competition. Um, it's almost hard to put words to why, just having been there and seen it. and It's, it's very hard uh, not to crack. Um, but, uh, I, and I've also spent less time around the team this time than I have. I've been, I haven't been to a practice. I imagine they'll invite me to one at some point. They usually do, but I haven't been to one yet this time. Um, I will say I happened to interview Daniel Baloud the other day and he asked me if I was coming to Lyon in January.
1: And you said And I yes. said
2: I said you have a good feeling chef and he kind of smiled and, and had a little glimmer in his eye so I don't know what that's worth uh, I mean he's always the optimist but um well, he, he seemed thing. he seemed very optimistic mm-hmm. um not you know I'm going to knock on wood on his behalf but um yeah, okay. I mean, I think they, look, they learn more each time they go at it, you know. Right. And, I, and we have a deeper and deeper bench of people who've been there and seen it and seen what the other teams are doing. Um, and But you're going up against countries who, you know, who have, you know, like when you're dealing with France or Norway, you know, when they start doing their practice runs, there's usually five gold medals. Oftentimes there's five people who have won the gold, the, the book yeah, whose door, right. standing there advising them. We don't have that kind mm-hmm. of
1: uh, right. consultancy
2: yet. yet. Right. So
1: So okay. So it's tough,
2: but I'm optimistic.
1: All right, cool. Now the second question from Grace Ann is, have you ever told a chef who you were collaborating with on a book that he or she should not put a recipe in it as you thought it was terrible?
2: Um, I've never told someone I thought a dish was terrible.
1: Or terrible for the book. Yeah, you know, so not the two, terrible. Right. So the,
2: you know. the two stages are... um. First, you have to sell the book, right? So there's usually what I refer to as the tripe conversation, right? <laughs> so, so you know, roughly 99% of chefs love tripe. You know, roughly 1% of the rest of the world loves tripe. Um, it's this thing. Chefs love tripe. I think there's an appreciation for what it takes to cook it well. I don't know what it is. But yeah. disproportionately, they love it. And very often there's, when you get together your recipe list for a proposal, when you're trying to sell your book, uh, there's a tripe dish there. And um, I'm going to out myself, and everyone will know this now. But I always, I always say, you know, let's get it out of the proposal and sell the book, and then we'll kind of
1: Trojan it horse
2: it in at the end. Yeah,
1: yeah. Smart move um, there. And right.
2: I usually say you get one, you know, you get one of those. Um, <laughs> but here again, you know, things are, this comes back to what we said before, things are changing, you know, nose to tail. There's this, there's this whole different uh, zeitgeist right now, and And probably a growing acceptance of that kind of thing, but those have usually been uh, either that or something that requires you know three things that you're going to have to go on the internet and mail order got it in, in order to do something um, and those 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 are more negotiable, um, and then your editor has something to say about it. you know different editors have different thresholds for that kind of thing.
1: Awesome. well, thank you. All Thank right, you. we're going to take another break here. We're going to come back. We're going to do my speed round game, talk some industry news. So stay with us. This is All in the Industry on Heritage Radio Network.
2: This is Brooks Headley, the pastry chef at Del Posto in Manhattan, and you are listening to Heritage Radio Network.
1: Okay, we're back. This is All in the Industry on Heritage Radio Network. I'm Sherry Bayer. My guest today is Andrew Friedman, and we are about to do my speed round game. So are you ready? Yes. you need going to name two things. You pick your preference. That's all. Okay, here we go. All right. Eat in or eat out? Out. Wine, beer, or cocktail? Uh,
2: cocktail right now.
1: Tasting menu or a la carte? Uh, tasty menu. Surprisingly. Small plates or large plates? Small. Tipping or all-inclusive charge?
2: Don't care, but I'll say tipping.
1: Communal table or a chef's counter? Oof! <laughs> Communal table or
2: chef's counter? Uh, chef's counter.
1: You're very good at this game. You're quick. Okay. Fiction or non-fiction?
2: Non-fiction.
1: Collaborating with male chefs, female chefs, or both, but we kind of—oh, well, no, both.
2: Both female chefs call me. And <laughs> <laughs> yeah. the discrimination against male writers. Awesome.
1: <laughs> How about hardcover, paperback, or ebook?
2: Uh, this really surprises me, but I've fallen in love with the whole uh, ebook, e-book? Uh, reader thing. Yeah, I resisted it for years, and it's great, especially when you're traveling. Just awesome
1: okay a couple more U.S. Open or Wimbledon
2: well I go to the U.S. Open every year Uh, Mm -hmm. I've never seen tennis at Wimbledon so I'll say Wimbledon
1: yeah I'm mentioning that because you have written a tennis book
2: yes yes and I write for
1: Tennis Magazine which is which is cool thank you
2: yeah no I would love to see tennis at Wimbledon
1: yeah I've never been there either No. okay cheese plate or dessert
2: Uh, cheese plate
1: Manhattan or Brooklyn
2: uh, I thought it was going to be a cocktail based on the first one. Uh,
1: <laughs> Someone don't else hate.
2: On- don't hate me, my neighbors. Uh, I, I'm I'm Manhattan. I live in Brooklyn, but
1: it's all good. Would
2: happily return to the to the dark yeah. side.
1: Someone else thought those were cocktails when I did it. Okay, yeah. awesome. They
2: probably frequent the uh, Brooklyn social as well.
1: <laughs> <laughs> okay, so let's talk some industry news. Yes, there was an article on Grub Street by Adam Platt. The Chefs That Changed America, A Decade of David Chang and April Bloomfield. Yes. It was, it was a huge title. It was quite, it was quite the tribute. Um, how did How you feel about this? What, what was your take?
2: Uh, my take? Uh, I think both April, I think they're both obviously hugely important. Um, it's strange. I've always thought, in a lot of ways, David was kind of the first Brooklyn chef, even though he did what he did. Uh, in in yeah. Manhattan. But if you look at the noodle bar, I think it's almost the prototype for what ended up happening in Brooklyn around the same time and in the years right after that. Stylistically, food... I mean, I just think there's a lot about that restaurant that sort of forecasts what happened in, in Brooklyn as well as elsewhere. Um, uh, yeah, I mean, what's interesting to me about the piece was, um, you know, I think there was a line in the piece and it's funny, we're just talking about the 70s and 80s, but, you know, about the two of them, uh, you know, like prior to uh, the two of, you know, that they were they helped this this Americans kind of break away from the the European, kind of the, the great yeah. works of European cookery, right? Mm-hmm. I feel like that's something that's been going on for decades. Um, uh, and I feel like they're the latest sort of link in that chain. Um, so I feel like they're a natural progression of the way things have been moving for a very long time. Uh, uh, Certainly, you know, even in New York, I mean, you had, I mean, mean, back in the 80s, people mining southwestern food and and, uh, you know, places like the Gotham that had uh, Italian and French and Asian and all these things on the same menu. So I feel like that, I feel like we broke away from those shackles a long time ago and I feel Mm. like these guys or this guy and this gal sort of very much helped move things to the next sort of evolution of that. But I, I, yeah. I do see it as kind of a something that's been going on for a long time. Uh,
1: yeah, well, I saw, I mean, I definitely think they've been very influential, and I saw Steve Cuzo wrote a follow-up piece in the Huffington Post, kind of you know steve like right. kind of kind of looking at the other side and he was one of his points was was he had your point in there but i remember he's he also said it's kind of the media's hype that a part of why like he was basically saying the media is has created this big the, the, their hype I, I don't know and yeah and as a pr person i was sort of thinking yeah there's has been a ton of press on them and everyone but I think they've been influential, regardless. In my opinion,
2: yeah. I mean, I was hearing about both of them. I think from chefs before I was hearing about them from the media. Uh, uh, definitely, David. Uh, uh, the other thing that I think is kind of interesting uh, about April and and uh, it's it's not just about her. And and Adam in that piece mentions you know Ken Friedman. Is I think you know there's this new sort of prototype that exists now of of kind of the chef owner team as as a as a joint entity, I think that's a relatively new thing. You know, you have you know there's Mario Batali and Joe, uh, and Joe Bastianich and mm-hmm. and Nick Kakonis and Grant Achatz and Daniel Humm and Will Gadara and Ken and April. And I think, you know, if you look at over the last several decades in this industry, there were all these really horrible professional divorces that happened, right? In some cases literal divorces, husbands and wives came apart and a lot of but also, you know, business partners, chef owner uh, scenarios that came apart not very pleasantly, right? And I think this is again, this is an evolution that's been going on for a long time. I think a lot of these people have figured out um, that there is a way for the chef and the owner to really not just peacefully coexist, but really um, build off each other and 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 build something that is really built for the you know a long term uh, tandem team. Yeah. Uh, and I think that's also a very interesting thing. And to me, you know, Kenan and April are, are among the first of that of that mold. You know, they yeah, they're among the first I, that I really thought of. Uh, uh, which is kind of amazing because I interviewed Ken I interviewed Ken for a piece I wrote about April not long after the pig took off and it's, it's kind of amazing that it worked out as well as it did I mean here's a guy who was in the music industry and um, had this idea to do this gastropub because he had seen them overseas and almost the way somebody would put together you know a band you know like a boy band mm-hmm. you know he's had this notion that it would be cool to have a British woman as the chef um uh, I mean, I think his first idea was to have Jamie Oliver. And then well, she won,
1: she won a Beard Award this year, and in yeah. her acceptance speech, I think she said, thank you, Jamie Oliver, for, for not, not taking the job. Taking the yeah, job. right? Yeah. And they
2: knew each other from the, the River Cafe on the, the other River Cafe, the one in England. And... Um, but you know, I think it's amazing that something that started that way actually turned into this amazing it's almost partnership. Like your blog. And, and she's um <laughs> no, they're they're doing a little better than my blog. No. I haven't turned a dollar yet on the blog. But but um you know, but April it always comes back to this, right? She and Chang both they know who the hell they are. That's what I think it amounts to. They know who they are on the plate. You know, it's not it's 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 food that very different what they both do but it's food that comes out of their personal background it comes out of their prof- melded with their professional background into something that's uniquely them and they they um I would bet neither of them really probably tortures in their head what they do too much. I think probably mm-hmm. it, it, gets, it gets honed, you know? But I think their yeah. ideas probably come from this very pure, natural place, I would guess, I, based I, on the food. I, I think you know?
1: so, too. And I have great respect for them. And actually, just to say, in Steve Cuso's article, he didn't disagree they weren't amazing chefs. He was just sort of questioning a little bit of, of if it was the title and, you know, Change America... I don't know. Well, I don't know if
2: they. Well, well I don't but, know. I don't know if they changed the I think yeah. David's influence is. Um, it's incredible. Profound. It's yeah. Profound. Um, yeah, very much. So.
1: And also in 2004, just note it was a big year per se. Massa, Blue Hill, Stone Barns, and Shake Shack all opened that year, which I thought was very interesting. Yes. So. Well. Yeah, but I mean, the media. To me, the media's always. I mean, media's always
2: been a part of this. I think. It's just there's more of it now. There is more of it. You know, and it's kind of endless. I mean the Cronut thing to me is the ultimate uh, example of that.
1: Yeah. Just the well, fact
2: just the fact of it.
1: Yeah, the Cronut was huge. Is huge still. Yeah. So okay. We don't have time for any more articles, so okay. we're gonna we're gonna take a break here and we'll come back. I'll do my solo dining experience. So stay with us. This is all in the industry on Heritage Radio Network. Welcome back to All in the Industry and Heritage Radio Network. I'm your host, Sherry Bayer. It's time for my solo dining experience of the week. Okay, so this week I went to Keith McNally's new restaurant. I believe the name is pronounced Cherish Midi. That is at least how I will be pronouncing it today. It is on the corner of Houston and Bowery, and it replaced Polino's. And it's a French restaurant. And, you know, they moved the entrance, I noticed, but the bar is basically the same the space had a more intimate feel, the way they, they, you know, moving the entrance and all. I really, I liked it. I thought it had a, a very, a more intimate ambiance than before. There's still a partially open kitchen. They have textured glass in front of it, and the bathrooms are very fun. I mean, they're unisex, but you don't know it at the time. So, I don't know. You'll have to go and see. <laughs> and um, so I went in. I sat at the bar. The bar is gorgeous. I really, I really like their bar. And uh, I got there a little before seven on a stormy night. By 720, there were people waiting for seats and ordering drinks over my head, which can be the annoying part of sitting at the bar. But I had a very good seat in the house. And I looked at the menu. I, it all looked great. I really could have ordered anything but I was sort of on a mission I wanted to get Pat Lafrida's new burger there he has a prime rib burger with bacon marmalade roasted mushrooms aged Gruyere cheese and it comes with pomme frites and it was awesome I mean I hadn't had a burger in a while so I don't know if, if that was why I enjoyed it even more but it's it's one serious burger it's $21 so it, it should be awesome but um, I loved it And that's all I got, because that was filling enough. I would certainly go back and try more things. And their website is chairschmittyny.com. So that's that. I'll go as well. All right, cool. Now, I want to see if you can ask a question for my guest next week. I am having on Cameron Lefkov and Michael Saltis. They're of the C, which is C-E-A, which stands for the Culinary Entertainment Agency, Andrew, do you know them? I don't know them. You don't know them. I
2: know of them. You
1: know of them. Yes. That that counts. Yes. And it's does, almost it, the not same. Like it it's almost the
2: same these days.
1: Yeah. Well <laughs> do you have a well, question we're not even for Twitter them? friends. Um, well, we'll have to We'll have to show. that and this show. Um,
2: Cameron and Michael, here's my question. It used to be that the sort of holy grail for of figures was television. I think that was the big kind of target. kind um, of when when people from the industry come to you for your help or representation, I'd love to have a sense of the breadth of things that they are looking to achieve outside of actually cooking. What are the things that they are looking to do? Uh, what are the uh, avenues they're looking to open for themselves?
1: Okay, great. Like a book.
2: <laughs> Book, maybe. product we'll line, see. radio show, um, advert, you know, whatever. Mm-hmm. I'd love to know yeah. the breadth of things and maybe the things that wouldn't be obvious to those of us who aren't represented by people like them and looking to do those sort of things.
1: All right. Terrific. I will ask them. Thank you. Thank you. And thank you for coming out here today. Thank you, you for having fun. me.
2: Yep. It's been great.
1: So I've been talking to Andrew Friedman of Tokeland. His website is tokeland.com He's on Twitter at Tokland andrew. My social media is at All Industry at Sherry Bayer at Bayer PR. My website's Bayer Public Relations.com. And if you miss this live broadcast, you can always find us at Heritage Radio Network.org. And we're on Stitchers and iTunes. Thanks to my engineer Jack, thanks to Andrew, and thanks to all of you out there listening. I hope you enjoyed this episode of All in the Industry on Heritage Radio Network. My name is Sherry Bayer. I'll be back next week at 4 o'clock on Wednesday. I hope you'll tune in then for another live show. Have a great week. Bye.
2: Thanks for listening to this program on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. You can find all of our archive programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Heritage underscore Radio. You can email us questions anytime at info at heritageradionetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a 501 C3 nonprofit. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening.